With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Your daily Premier League podcast. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, kicking off another week of Premier League podcasts every day. This is the place to get your latest news, your latest views and all the opinion on the English top flight. But there is no Premier League football to speak of right now. We're going to have to wait till Saturday for that because right now we are slap bang in the middle of the Nations League and the first and final international games before the World Cup finals in Qatar. But... Is this a World Cup that could spell the end for Gareth Southgate? We'll discuss the England manager's future ahead of the game against Germany tonight in the Nations League for the Three Lions. We're also going to be looking back at some of those classic matches between them and us on today's podcast. And speaking of World Cups, I'm actually on the hunt for some World Cup anthems. If you are in a band or know a band, that's got an England tune, or a Welsh tune for that matter together, then fire it over via our Twitter, at The Sports Social, and we might feature some of the best and some of the worst on the podcast. Might even get the bands on for a chat if we can. Love a good World Cup anthem. I'm Jim. That's Niall. Hello. That's Marley. Hello. And we're going to start today's podcast, as we do on a Monday, with a bit of a moan. It's get in the sea, a time to vent spleen and chuck something from the week's football in the sea, never to be seen again. Does anyone want to volunteer to go first with today's midweek moan? I'll go first, seeing as both of you turned and immediately looked straight at me, so I guess that means <laughs> it's me. So, you're so good at moaning now. I am That's pretty why. good at moaning, I will say that. This is hard because I know we're going to talk about it later on in the podcast, but you've got to throw England in the sea at the moment. And that's not just Gareth Southgate. That's the team, the players, the kit, the new home kit looks rubbish. I know you spoke about it last mm. week on the podcast. Just generally boring. <laughs> boring, boring, boring. A game against Italy in the San Siro, a team who we lost to narrowly in the Euros, should have been a cause for excitement. And it wasn't. It was rubbish. I watched the first 10 minutes of the game. I thought, I know exactly how this is going to go. Then I put on an episode of the new Lord of the Rings, which I really thoroughly enjoyed. That finished, and then watched the final 10 minutes of the game at the San Siro after the Lord of the Rings had finished. And it was 1-0 to Italy, and the final 10 minutes was the exact same as the opening Mm. 10 minutes. Apart from the fact you had someone like Grealish on who was running around and looking a little bit more lively. Just some of the things that the players were doing, they would never normally do. 
But I'm not sure I would have been that interested had it been 4-0 after 20 minutes. I watched the first 15 minutes and turned off because it was boring. But I was bored before I started watching. It's like I was not interested. The only reason I wanted to watch was I wanted to see how Skamaka got I've up I've said this before. I only care yeah. about England when there's a major tournament. I don't yeah, care exactly. about the Nations League. We've, got, we've so gone do you down, think, so what? Do you Who think cares? that filters into the players? Do you think there's an element of that being part of the players' psyches going into this game? And that's why we get these dull, drab affairs, because they don't care either. I think that that is something really to to laser in on and focus in on, mm. whether the players are that bothered. Because you always hear these sound bites and cliches from players who say representing your country is the biggest honour you can have. I, I appreciate that is the case for a lot of people, for a lot of different nations. But for some people, playing for their nation probably doesn't mean as much as it should do. And I don't want to level that at any players in particular. But if I'm going to use an example of how playing in an England shirt can change you, in that first 10-15 minutes and the final 10 minutes that I watched of the game against Italy on Friday night, I saw Kyle Walker, who was playing as a right centre-back in a back three for Gareth Southgate. I saw him play at least two or three just hoofed clearances and long balls up towards Harry Kane, who was on his own up front. When has Kyle Walker ever smashed the ball long like that for Manchester City? Mm. He just doesn't do it. But that's co- so, that, isn't that coaching and tactics? Before that. But uh, it's, it's, it's coaching, it's tactics, but it's also a case of not really knowing your responsibility. And I understand that there's going to be a difference in coaching and tactics between Southgate and Guardiola. One, because Kyle Walker, and this goes for every player, I'm not just picking on Kyle Walker here, by the way, will go into a training ground and speak to a manager and coaching staff every day, every single day, by the one day a week that they've got the day off after a match. Gareth Southgate gets what? A couple of days with his players, maybe a week at most before they go into a match. There's no way that England are going to be able to coach playing in a certain way in that short space of time. It's just impossible. So what you need then are different attributes and different skills. And I'm not sure the players have that. But this this isn't across every nation. Every nation has the same limitations at an international level. Okay, let's say... I get that Brazil, for example... That's what I was going to say. They, by their nature, play a certain type of football. But also for your Brazilian... If you're Brazilian and you grew up in a favela in Sao Paulo... What's the greatest honour you can have? Mm. To wear that yellow shirt, to play for La Selecao. That's the greatest honour you can have. If you're a young lad who grew up in Toxteth or Anfield in the shadow of Stanley Park or Goodison Park, the greatest thing that you can do is play at that stadium that you've played Kirby with your mates outside, that you've kicked ball against the wall outside. On a match day, you smelled the smell of the grass and the burgers and all the fans walking down the street to the stadium to play in the Premier League for a club like Liverpool. If you grew up in an area like that, I would argue that playing for someone like that is more significant than playing for England. And that is because I think we've got to a position now where the Premier League is bigger than the England national team. And I think that that has filtered down to the performances. Yeah. And yeah. I, I just think that, that is, that's not a criticism. That's just the way I see things. And it's sad reflection of where we're going. But the Premier League is now such a massive product. For example, playing for Santos is a famous Brazilian club, to use Brazil as an example again. But I'm sure playing for Santos is not as satisfactory or satisfying as a player than playing for Brazil mm. at a World Cup. Whereas playing for England at a World Cup is as good as it gets in terms of playing for an England uh, an England side. But for me... I've said this so many times. I'd rather I'd rather make a hundred appearances for Portsmouth and have a statue outside Fratton Park and be a legend than play for England in a Nations League game. 
and go down. I'm not sure either is going to happen, Niles, to be honest uh, with you. I don't well, think they're building I don't know, the on statue On Friday's yet. display, I've still got a chance. <laughs> so what's going in the sea? Is it the um, attitude of players just, just, or is it just it being a bit boring? Just how boring it okay. is. And I just think that we've got to a position now where the Premier League is, as we often say, the most entertaining league in the world. There's always drama. I mean, listen, we've been doing this podcast for nearly four years now and every single day we've got something to talk about. With the England national team, what what have we got mm-hmm. to talk about? I mean, we're talking about it today, but it's just boring. I, I'm just not excited by it at all. Okay. I, I've no, I've no interest. We will come back to that shortly because we are going to talk about England and expectations ahead of tonight's game against Germany. Do you want to go next, Marley? Got something you want to throw in the sea? Well, mine was mine was linked to to England, unsurprisingly, because it's the only football we've seen this weekend, really. Um, and as as bad as Turkey have been, I'm not sure. I'm I'm quite. <laughs> Not quite as uh, bothered about Turkey drawing drawing to Luxembourg and then losing to the Faroe Islands at the weekend, but no, it was a bit more specific than than um, the Niles of, of sort of England in general. And m- mine is is Southgate. I think the um, the team selection he's making is is just bizarre for me. I've I've said it for a while. I, the the back three is so boring and so forced that it doesn't make sense for me. Like. I, I think he's the only manager in Kyle Walker's whole career that's ever played him as a centre-back. The only one at the age of like 31, is he? 31, 32 now. Mm. And now he's trying to turn him into a centre-back because he wants to play this back three. Bakayo Saka has never played wing-back except maybe the very early days of Arsenal when he was getting into the team and he was just having to get a game wherever he, wherever he wanted. But he's in that squad because he's a quality right midfielder for Arsenal or he's played on the left in the past and been very... Um, impactful but he's never played left wing back he's, he's not good enough there he, he just doesn't know the position so why are you forcing it and then you've obviously you know you've got Chilwell and Shaw and the you know the the um, the options at left wing back aren't amazing so why play it why not just play a normal back four and even then if you have to put a square peg in a, in a round hole at left back they, they don't have as much attacking impetus and as as, as much attacking importance as a left wing back does because it's it's a major weapon in that system. You, the whole reason you play with wing backs is because you've got two excellent crosses of a ball on on either side, and you see England and you see you see Saka just getting lost. He doesn't know whether to press high or drop deep, and he doesn't know when to go into a back five and when to push up and and do and do both jobs. And if he does try and do both, he, he gets knackered because it's the most physically demanding position on on a football field. I would say wing back. It's actually quite um, impressive the amount of attacking talent that is in that England side. Yeah. Even the team that started against Italy, yet the complete lack of threat they seem to generate when they're on the pitch together. It was it was insane. I looked on um, when the team came out, and I looked on the Sky Sports app, and Sky Sports had uh, had set England up in in a four um, a four two three one, I think. And I looked at it and went, "Well, that's wrong," because if Kyle Walker's on, and he's wearing like number two, it doesn't mean he's it doesn't mean he's playing the standard mm. right back. It means if South gets a manager, that means he's playing a right sided centre back, and it just doesn't work. If you're going to play that system, you have to have the players available who play that system first choice. Even if it means putting Connor Cody in because he plays in a back three every every week, at least he plays that system. And then you've got Fikayo Tomori not even getting um, not getting in the squad against strikers. He plays against every single week. He's got in the England team because he's in Italy playing every week. He's there in his home stadium playing for England 
marking the likes of Raspadori and Skamaka, who he played against last season, and and will know. Mm. So why why then play an out of form Harry Maguire and an out of position Kyle Walker um, alongside Eric Dyer, who's only just coming back into the fold after two years away? Mm. It's just there's so many questions, so many basic questions that he's getting wrong, and I, you can only criticize the manager I think when he's getting what looks like obvious things wrong. If he was playing his strongest team and they just weren't performing, you can say, well, you know, it, what, what's going on there? But when you look at it on the basis of things and you're saying, well, England aren't scoring goals, and then you look at the lineup and you've got at least three players out of position and a strange formation which nobody really understands. The answer's right in front of you. It doesn't make sense. There doesn't seem to be a tide turning in terms of public opinion about Southgate and his managerial decisions at the moment. We are going to come on to that shortly, so we're going to park that one for the time being whilst Marley throws team selection into the sea for the time being. I'll wrap this up because I want to talk briefly about directors of football <laughs> and the fact that some clubs just don't seem to take the director of football role seriously. Are you on about West Ham? I'm on you about West Ham. <laughs> you on about Mr West Ham? I, am, I mean, this isn't a slight on Mark Noble in any way whatsoever. He was always going to go back to West Ham. In some, some capacity, yeah. yeah. And he is a club legend. And actually, compared to some of the appointments that people put in as director of football, he is reasonably qualified. He, over lockdown, kind of did a business and sports management degree so at least he's got some kind of knowledge and experience and he's got 20 years of seeing the absolute garbage that West <laughs> yeah. Ham have brought yeah. in and, he, and he's kind of helped <laughs> within key appointments in the club as well like that when Zafran Hines became one of the youth I forget what level one of the youth coaches he was kind of like the person who put that in place so he has had some delvings and dealings with the back of the club but I think it's it's kind of there seems to be a 50-50 split and some clubs within the Premier League take the director of football role incredibly seriously. And you look at Manchester City, how that complete management setup all work together for a common goal. It's been designed perfectly, different layers responsible for different things. Hmm. And yet some clubs like West Ham in this scenario, and there's been other scenarios before, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, where former players have just gone in and it's a bit of a let's just keep them around old boys club kind of situation. And I think it really underplays the importance of what a director of football can bring to a club because he should be the person setting out your strategy. It's like Manchester United when they were talking about the director of football club there, some of the names that were linked with that role. It was like a list of former players. Uh, wasn't Peter Schmeichel linked with it at some point? Okay. Van der Sar was, but that again, he's got a bit more experience. Well, it's, uh, but... it's Darren Fletcher at the moment is the technical director mm. at Manchester yeah. United. But we've seen Peter Cech as well, haven't we? Being the the guy at Chelsea. Yeah. Um, I do wonder where the transition comes. You said Mark Noble did some stuff during lockdown, but it's how does a player go from thinking about just playing the game to then thinking about how he wants other people to play the game? You know, how, how does that transition happen? Well, it's, it's, it's really that, interesting it? because it's... when you think of a director of football, you think of someone who doesn't even play the game mm. or who's been retired a long time. Because Who then puts are... a suit on and sits in the well, stands and watches games. are more games. business related than on the pitch. It's sure. more to do with sorting out the overall comp- like business strategy, isn't it? And the way forward and, not, and transfers and contracts and all that kind of thing. It's not necessarily about the way the game's played. But I guess the other question is, how do you cut your teeth as a director of football? Because By making mistakes on the job, like you do it, with most jobs. But it's not like you can start, if you're a manager, you start at the conference and work your way up or whatever. Yeah. But you can't, the directors of football don't exist <laughs> yeah. at the lower levels of football. So it's a, it's a kind of a difficult problem. But I do think it's a role that needs to be taken seriously and should be taken seriously. I don't think it always is. Well, I think uh, looking specifically at West Ham, if I feel like they don't listen to 
the director of football style person anyway because you see them every uh, every transfer window. Oh, we tried to get this guy and we tried to get that guy and then they'll go and splooge 50-odd million or 30-odd million on a random player and West Ham's transfer business has always seemed like that and mm. I'm not sure how much, even though Mark Noble is Mr. West Ham and all the other cliches you want to... Uh, you want to sort of throw at him. I don't know if he'll get listened to, so why no. not? Why not just give him a job? If the board you know, want too much control to be able to kind yeah, of hand any power. That's what over. I mean. Whereas if you look at Newcastle, for example, as a as a um, as a comparison, they've got a board who don't know football, so they've gone out and went, "Who's the guy who's done the best at his job in previous in in the last five ten years?" And they've gone and looked at Dan Ashworth at, at Brighton, mm. and looked at all the business he's done and all the. You know all the the record, the transfers and stuff that he's done, and went. He's the best. We'll get him. Yes, they've paid for him, fine, but at least they're gonna run everything through him. Whereas I think West Ham have just put a guy in place, and everything's gonna run as it did. To be fair, it has happened for West Ham before, where a proper director of football has been put in under Manuel Pellegrini. Uh, I forget his name, Marcelo Julios or whatever his name was. I forget who what his name was, but he came in as kind of the director of football when Pellegrini was in. And that went to shit really quickly. <laughs> it's yeah. like so it, it doesn't always work, but at the same time, it should was, was that because he wasn't be, getting listened to? Well, I don't know. I think he identified most of the transfer targets, and that kind of gave the board the impetus to go. Hang on, we're not letting someone else control this. Look yeah. what happens. Yeah. So I, I just think there's an opportunity to be had with a director of football if you can identify the right man and if you can deliver a joined-up approach where you give people the structure and allow them to get on with what they need to get on with. Yeah, but well, it's it, not necessarily being recognised at the moment. It makes sense to have one because not not that often does your director of football get poached by other clubs. Whereas mm. if you run everything through your manager, like the old days, your managers managers these days get poached by everyone until they end up at the top. Mm. So, you know, not that many directors. That's why the the style. If, if you see like, um, you see you see plenty of clubs doing it, but maybe Watford. Like when they 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 sat their coach every six months, but their style, their whole structure of the upper management of their club stays the same. Mm. So the coach is just a revolving door. Either he gets poached or he gets sacked. One of the two. They they always happen. Um, but the structure stays the same. So a new guy can come in and be the manager. So it gives you that consistency. At least you've got the consistency. Yeah, but. I mean, with West Ham, I think everything comes. It's very very top heavy, like top mm. top heavy rather than boardroom wide heavy so that is my get in the sea director of football is not being taken seriously that said good luck Mark Noble good to have you back at the club another 19 <laughs> years in the boardroom fashion range go did, did anyone has everyone <laughs> the, ever seen MN16 the commemorative uh, West Ham fashion range I don't, I don't think it's currently available in the club shop I think they've quietly shelved that one right <laughs> we're going to talk about England versus Germany next Gareth Southgate is he under pressure it certainly seems that way we face the old enemy tonight and we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. Football Social Daily. We're talking England versus Germany and Gareth Southgate getting a lot of criticism at the moment. He's already had a load of criticism on this podcast already. I was going to ask, does he deserve it, Niall? But I think you've probably already answered that question. I think you both think he does deserve it. I think you have to. When you've lost five games in a row, which I think is what England have done, isn't it? Or they've, sorry, they've gone without a win for five games for the first time in eight years. Not scored in eight hours of football yeah, from open play shocking. as well. That's, that's really shocking. And we spoke in the previous section of the show about the attacking players that England have got. Harry Kane, Saka, Foden, Grealish, Sancho. Not all of these players are in great form. Of course, Sancho's not in the squad and Nors Rashford due to injury. But if you think about all of these players and the quality that they've got and their ability to score goals, I mean, Ivan Tony wasn't even in the squad for the Italy game. Mm. And, you know, he's scored a number of goals this season and last so the ability to score is there it's just we can't seem to find it and I was watching an interview actually with Paul Scholes over the weekend and he was asked a question the age-old question he's still here down the pub to this day who was the best midfielder of that generation was it Gerard Lampard or Scholes and he said you know what I don't really care about that because all I did was try to pass the ball to our forward players because in front of Paul Scholes, you had Wayne Rooney or Ronaldo or Van Nistelrooy or Tevez or a number of other great strikers, Dwight York, Andrew mm. Cole, these players. David Bellion. David Bellion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a number of other players to to that, that weren't quite as good. But he just said, I just try and pass to them because they're the players that win your games. You know, if I can pop up with the old goal, then great. But your strikers and your forward players are the ones that win your games. And... I don't know if England are doing that. Well, clearly they're not. But that said, he's, with the pragmatic, slightly dull football that he's delivered, he's got England to a final and a semi-final of a major tournament. Which they were in front in the final against Italy after two minutes, and then after 20 minutes, they camped on the... 1-0 1-0 win. But both of those, that, that's overachieving with this England team, right? And surely he deserves some credit for that. Uh, yes, he des- absolutely deserves credit for doing what England, what he's done with England. He's the second best manager England have ever had. And that is statistically correct. Mm. Whether you enjoy his football or not, people will look back in a few years and go, Gareth Southgate did bloody well with that England team. And, he, and they're right. But when you look at the players that England have got, they've got one of the best goal scorers in world football, in their team, Harry Kane. They've got some of the best players that we've seen in England for a long time, considering the way things have gone with Liverpool and Manchester City and how good they've been. They've been dominating in Europe. Very good players in the team. It's just the way that they're being used is maybe not to the taste of England's supporters. And the game has moved on from when Gareth Southgate was a player. And people want fast attacking football. And I think if England concede two but score four, I think that the fans would be much happier than if they concede zero and score one. The result will still be the same, a win for England, but I think fans would be more appeased if you win in a certain fashion. 
And so for me, that's kind of part of it. And I think, yes, Gareth Southgate is under pressure. I think it'd be stupid to get rid of him now. And I don't think the FA will. I think he's been a very good statesman, very good spokesperson as well. He handles the press very, very well. He's brought the group of England players together in a way that previous managers haven't. There are a lot of positives to do with Gareth Southgate. But is he under pressure? Absolutely, he's under pressure. England are in wretched form going into the Euros, uh, into the World Cup, sorry. I don't fancy them to beat Germany tonight, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. And if they don't do well at the World Cup, maybe it is time for him to tuck his bat under his arm and walk back to the pavilion because it feels to me like this is his final shot at success. Mm. And I know Joel, who's part of the FSD team, thinks that if England don't win a major trophy under Southgate, then it's a failure. Well, they should have got to the World Cup final. They didn't. They should have got through the final of the Euros by winning against Italy. They didn't. So, yeah, I guess it is his last chance. And it sounds ungrateful for a country that hasn't won a major trophy since 1966. But these are the standards that he's set for himself and he's now falling short. So, yeah, 100% he's under significant pressure. Is it time for him to go anyway, then, Marley? Because I guess we've been spoilt by the success, inverted commas, that England have had over the last couple of tournaments. They've probably overachieved, but actually expectations of fans has moved on to a point now where it's not just about necessarily slogging our way through six games and getting to a final. There's a demand to be entertained. And Gareth Southgate, no matter what he's achieved with this England squad, and I think he's achieved a lot from the things that Niall highlights, not necessarily playing style, but he's achieved a lot off, off the pitch as well in terms of getting the press behind the team and creating this unity. But is it that time where you go, look, we just need a fresh approach. We want to see something else. We want someone who can take advantage of the attacking talent that this team has. Yeah, it's it's hard to disagree with that because, like, look, if England go win the World Cup, everything's rosy and everything's fine, but going into it... What, what a time to then bow out. Yeah. It kind of still makes sense to me, that's the thing. Yeah, it probably does, yeah. Um I don't know really because the one thing I think about one thing I think about if he doesn't if he does leave is who comes who comes in and then I'm I'm less than impressed with the the names linked and um and that kind of stuff so I think with with Southgate I don't know it's just I it's just like I said before I just think he's he's that stuck in his way with his back three system that he got to the final of the Euros with and I think he. he this whole thing of, uh, you know, this person has never let me down for England is doomed to fail because the whole point of playing for England is you're playing well for your club. So by by adopting this approach of, you know, well, Harry Maguire has never let me down, it just demoralises every other centre-back playing in the country because it doesn't matter how well you're playing at Everton if you're James Tarkowski or... If you're how well you're playing, if you're Lewis Dunk at Brighton or for Kyoto Tomori at AC Milan, smashing it in the Champions League and trying to win the Serie A title for the second time in uh, in a row, it doesn't matter because Harry's getting picked. So and then he's going to defend him and defend him and defend him. And I'm not just picking out Maguire; I'm picking out other players like Harry Kane. There is no point. The, the, it's the worst thing in football is to be an England striker at the minute because Harry Kane is going to play. Mm. He's going to play 90 minutes. It doesn't matter if you're Ivan Tony and you've got 10 goals already this season or seven or whatever he's got. Why can't it he doesn't matter because 
Why what? can't he play Tony and Kane? Well, because he's because he's stuck in this back three but system. Four four two is out of fashion. But my team Portsmouth have played four four two all season. We haven't lost the game yet. We've scored more goals than anyone else, <laughs> and we're top of the table. I Isn't... know it's League One, but it's like it's almost like people have got, you know, kind of this stigma mm. against playing a certain way Isn't and they're like, tonight, well, we can't play like that because that's old school. Isn't tonight the opportunity to do something different? We've been relegated from the Nations League. Who cares yeah. about that? It doesn't really matter. We've got a free hit against one of the leading nations in the world. It's a proper test or it mm. should be a proper test. Take a chance. Play Ivan Tony. I mean, I, I would, I'm not bothered about seeing Harry Kane. We know what Harry Kane can do. Play Ivan Tony up front. Play 4-3-3 is the formation that I think England are it's the, most it's likely the to best, have as a second option. It's the best fit for us, I think, that's yeah, well, the 4 3 3. Because we've got players like Bellingham, and mm. you know, if you want to unlock the middle of that midfield, you play Bellingham and yeah. Rice holding, and then Sterling on one side. Yeah, like, you know, maybe like Ward Prowse, for example, is a box to box midfielder. He's, he's probably the best. But then again, he, he's been left out of the squad tonight. So you've, we know now, at, at um, Monday morning, that um, Tamori. Uh, Ward-Prowse, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and I think it's there's one more that have been left out of the squad. So Trent's just wasted a week of his life because he hasn't even got in any of the squads. I thought it was ridiculous, really ridiculous against um, Strange. Italy that you'd have Ivan Tony in that England squad mm. and you wouldn't even put him on the bench. You'd choose to play... Two goalkeepers on yeah, the bench over picking another. I'm not sure option. if it's a if it's a thing that you have to play them, but I don't, I don't, don't I don't think not so. That I'm aware of. What are we yeah. saying tonight then? I mean, I don't know much about this Germany side, but you assume with Germany, but they're poor. pragmatic, solid. They're <laughs> not. They're not that good. They're in a similar position to to England were a couple of years ago when like the big players sort of retire and they haven't they haven't got a recognised. Well, well, the centre forward is Timo Werner. So if you if you take his England spell into international team you know he's not he's not exactly prolific but he he does do better in in a germany shirt or a, a german club shirt as he's as he's proved but even them you know you look at their their back four and the full backs have always been an issue they've they're not the best they've got some good players but one thing about germany is they've always like you've said they've always been pragmatic they've always been organized and stubborn and they will be again mm-hmm. and i think that's england's worst nightmare because to beat a stubborn uh, set in their ways team who's going to give you 7 out of 10 every time you have to be at the cutting edge you have to sort of be brave and, and make chances and, and the way England are playing they haven't got a chance tonight and how the bookies have got them as favourite I have no idea it certainly doesn't feel like it's going to be a particularly exciting game what are you going for Niall you don't fancy England's chances tonight he's going for a curry instead <laughs> yeah, I won't be watching oh what you haven't <laughs> uh, I'm not but I might do now it's a good suggestion Alogobi I had an Alogobi at the weekend which isn't my normal pick but it was delicious is that potato yeah potato and cauliflower very okay. good very yeah, nice oh, I might give that a go that I might give that a go I'll have a look um, yeah don't care sorry 2-0 Okay. 2-0 to someone I'm <laughs> sensing there's not a huge amount of excitement over this game we will look back at whatever happens maybe it'll be an 8 goal thriller maybe Southgate will come out firing we'll discuss it tomorrow on Football Social Daily and no doubt there'll be a bit of chat on our Telegram channel as well if you want to get stuck into our Telegram where we all ponder the rights and wrongs of football along with other Football Social Daily listens you can find it pinned to the top of our Twitter account at FSD Pod. you can find all the links you need there we're going to look back at a few England-Germany games of old now I've got a little quiz I'm going to test the boys' memory of some of the great matchups of yesteryear we'll do it next 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily. Let's get stuck into a quiz all about England versus Germany. Fastest fingers first on this one, Marley and Niall. So you have to shout in with your name. We'll see. Oh, hang on. Can I use this bell? Yeah, you can. You can. You, you can use. The, we, found, we found the. We, there used to be a cliche bell on the podcast, which <laughs> we used whenever someone's like use a footballing cliche. We haven't seen it for about three years, but it's just rocked up. Give us a little tinkle. Have you got a sound oh, effect you can go for? Nostalgic. No, no. <laughs> You're just gonna have to shout your name. So we've got Bell versus Bell. Uh, we'll get <laughs> shortly. Uh, we're right, So fastest fingers. I'm gonna first. bang this. Okay. Whoever answers the question can win. Um, five questions in all. England have played Germany 34 times, with England winning 14 of those games. How many can you remember? How many details from the past? First question. In the pair's first ever competitive match, that was 1966, the famous World <laughs> Cup winning moment, England won 4-2. England were handed victory from a contentious goal awarded by a Russian linesman. What was his name? The linesman? The linesman's oh, name. Jim. I'm going to give you some options. I know. Oh, and you're going to go for it. Rumpelstiltskin. Oh. <laughs> Your options are... Does that freeze Marley out now that he's made a guess? <laughs> Is it Tofik Baramov... Is it Tofik Shmarinov or is it Tofik Crisp? First one. <laughs> Go on. You went first. Baranov, you can have a punt as well, Marley. Well, I was going to go for that as well. Go I'm not going to go for Tofik Crisp, am I? <laughs> 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 it was Baranov. Well done. Point to Niall. <laughs> oh my God. Do you know what? I, when you said it, I was like, I'm going to ding straight away because I think it's him. And then when you said the second one, I thought, these are going to be. I thought Jim's <laughs> it, made the second It's two. like one of those competition quiz questions <laughs> where you can't really lose. Right. Like where you have to pay to submit yes, like, this yeah. morning. 50p. Right. Okay. Next one. In last year's European Championships, England put in their performance of the competition with a 2 0 win over Germany. Who scored the second goal? Marley. Just buzzed in, just did Niall's trick of buzzing in first. <laughs> uh, Kane? It was Harry Kane, well done. Diving Who's, Edward, do you know who scored the first one? No. It's Raheem uh, Sterling. Sterling. Yeah, Sterling. Sterling got That's the first right. one. It's one all. Next question. <coughs> Next question. In 1982, it was a less than exciting affair with England and Germany playing out a nil-nil at the World Cup in 1982 in the group stages. Who was the England manager in 1982? Was it? Do you want some clues or do you reckon does anyone want to take a punt? Do you know what? We had Trevor Stephen on the dugout at the weekend and he said who the England manager was. Or last week, maybe it was as well, he mentioned it. I can't remember. Go on, give us some clues, Jim. Don Revy, Bobby Robson, Ron Greenwood. Ron Greenwood. It was yeah. Ron, Ron Greenwood. I was just waiting for that. Bobby was later and Don Revy. Did Don Revy ever have it? Yeah, Don Revy was just before. Was he? It was either side. 
So that's 2-1 to Niall. Great story from Trevor, by the way, about how he got his England call-up. So if you want to listen to that, go back and listen to the dugout. There you go. Go and have a listen. Been back in the timeline. That'll be Saturday night show, that was. In 2001, the two teams met in the World Cup qualifying and England recorded their landmark 5-1 victory in Germany with which England player scoring a hat-trick? Michael Owen. Michael Owen is correct. Well done, Niall. Three Marley hates one. Michael Owen, so there's no way <laughs> you hate Michael Owen. I was hoping it would be one of the other scorers. Do you remember how England did other, in yeah. the 2002 World Cup? Terrible. Got lobbed. David Seaman got <laughs> lobbed right, by got Brazil. Got to the quarterfinals. But Japan yeah, and South Korea, Brazil. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Last question. Some pride. Actually, no. Do you know what? There's three points at stake here, Marley. Is so you can grab this back. <laughs> <laughs> in 1990, the World Cup, England met Germany in the semi-finals. Obviously, we know it was a draw. Went to penalties. Chris Waddle and Stuart Pearce mixed. Mi- Chris Waddle and Stuart Pearce missed their spot kicks, but who scored theirs for England? You get a point for each. Sorry, I'll have a go. Go on, go on, Molly. <laughs> what year is this? Nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety World oh, Cup. God, uh, Lineker. Lineker is a point. That pulls it. That's uh, two three. Um, Does he get to go three in a row? He buzzed in first, so okay, yeah. Okay. But if he misses, you can have a, you can pick up. All it. right, so he can just <laughs> doesn't give me much chance to. <laughs> um, who did you say missed? Waddle, Waddle missed, didn't Waddle he? And, yeah, Waddle and Pierce. Did missed. Hoddle score? Hoddle did not score. You can have one more guess. Um, Stuart Pierce. He missed. Oh, he missed. Ah, oh, crap. <laughs> uh, Southgate. <laughs> Three, two Steve is the Bruce. score. Niall is winning. Do you want to mop up the final two goal scorers, Niall? See if you can get them. I think John Barnes might have been one. Incorrect. No? Okay, that's that's put me up the old creek with no paddle here. Um, Beardsley? Peter Beardsley scored one. Beardsley, yeah. And one more was... 1990. David Platt. Correct. Well done. Good score. Scored a great volley against Belgium, was it? Belgium, that weird volley, yeah. Yeah, it was a brilliant goal. I remember remember watching that vividly. That is it. Nile wins... 5-2. 5-2. I think that was a comprehensive victory. Let's For hope. someone who's been bleating on about how he doesn't care about England, it's quite embarrassing <laughs> to have won that. <laughs> well, do you know what? I'd settle for 5-2 tonight. England versus Germany. We'll talk about it tomorrow on Football Social Daily. That's it for today's podcast. Enjoy the rest of whatever it is you're doing today and we'll see you next time. Football Social Daily. Your daily Premier League podcast. Podcast.